We're entering the spooky season this year, and we're going to start off talking about some of the most evil guitar riffs of Tony Iommi. Welcome to another episode of the Metal Shop Podcast with me, Big Frog. And me, Mike Castleberry. And this week we are getting into the evilest riffs of Tony Iommi. Um, We could have went with best riffs or uh, classic riffs or whatever, but since it's Halloween season, we decided to go with evil riffs. Fuck yeah. I figure that way we give ourselves uh, room to do another, uh, just our favorite riffs uh, (laughs) of Tony Iommi. On top of this, if we want to, at some point, we're all about stretching out a concept. Yeah, and with Tony Iommi, you can because it's just like riff after riff after riff. It's like you know you can't really go wrong with any of them, but there's some that stand out for different reasons, and some that stand out in this case for the fucking most fucking evil sounding or whatever. Um, before we get all into the riffs. I went uh, up to L.A. this last week to see the Iron Maidens, and the opening band was called Black Sabbath. And I thought it was like an all-female band, the same way like the Iron Maidens are, but actually it was dudes, three dudes, and, the, and a chick that sang, and she was like a trip because she was like, not a good-looking chick and not trying to be a good-looking chick, um, older chick, but uh, she was mad theatrical. And so she, you know, she starts um, from off stage, um, saying, like, some incantation or something, and it all ties in to the show. And then later on, she um, she does another incantation, and then... A chick that is good looking comes on the stage and starts dancing and it's a it's a trip like you know she like conjures her up and you know anyways it was a trip the chick um as far as her voice she her voice was pretty good she's she reminded me kind of like doro pesh type of thing you know and she had blonde hair also and uh the outfits and she, had, she was doing costume changes and stuff and the band was good. They didn't really play the songs like that much faster, but I would say they played them kind of more aggressively. It was lively. Uh, they started off with Into the Void, and then they played basically like a lot of songs that might be on these lists, but they didn't play Iron Man. They didn't play Paranoid. They didn't play Black Sabbath. 
probably the most mainstream song that they played was Sweet Leaf, I think. And all the rest were like the more darker shit. And it was cool, man. Um, the bassist was like, I mean, I don't think he was playing like the shit that Geezer plays exactly or at all, but he was playing in that way, you know, like all over the place. Um, the guitarist, he had the riffs pretty much down. The soloing was a little bit different, but it was good. And yeah, I dug it. Like me and my friend George were talking about it afterwards. And we were saying, you know, if they played five, 10, 15 more songs, I would have stayed. I would have watched the whole thing. I would have watched them play until they wanted to stop because you don't really get to hear many of these songs played live very often. So I dug it. So if you get a chance to see Black Sabbath, I think they're based in L.A. So I wouldn't be surprised to see them down here or, or if you happen to be up there. Pretty good show, man. Oh, and then and the, uh, the band wore masks. So it had kind of like a ghost element to it, too. Hmm. Although at one point in the show, she like relieved the guitarist of his mask during some little ritual thing that she did. So I thought she was going to do all of them, but no, she just, just him. He was the only one who got to take his mask off. The other two had to have their masks on still. So I don't know what that was all about. But yeah, man, it was a pretty good show. And it was at the Whiskey, which if you haven't been to the Whiskey, it's a cool spot because it's got all that history and all that. But it's also cool because the stage is super tall. Like the stage is probably like eight, like, seven eight feet high so you can see from wherever you're at if you're in the back you can still see so i like that you know um, especially being short that's awesome more places should have a high stage like that i think so black sabbath yeah uh, they get a good grade from me i, I liked it nice i'll have to uh, check them out uh we also recently saw kiss again uh <laughs> mm-hmm. on their uh the second leg of their their final farewell tour where they're saying this is the for real like farewell farewell and uh you know they've been saying that but they're really trying to milk it but you know paul stanley and gene simmons are pretty adamant about it this time and Mm -hmm. you know they're talking about in interviews how you know other farewells we've done you know they're farewells because of internal band issues and this and that and this time it's like an external force it's it's fucking time it's age like they're Mm -hmm. all like you know gene and paul are like dude we're we're like 70 Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) and this shit's heavy and you know try playing try playing a concert when you're old in this heavy ass gear and you know 100 degree you know 100 uh, percent humidity (laughs) you know it's like it takes a toll it's really it's like i don't think we can physically do this ever again after this which you know is fair because you know they're they're fucking old uh the show itself um is good uh (laughs) you know i have noticed for me personally that that was my first my fourth time seeing kiss live and uh i feel like there's diminishing returns every time for me mm-hmm. um paul gets older the band is you know the last 
you know, the three of the four times I've seen him, it hasn't been, you know, the original band. I saw him on the original Farewell with the original four. And that was one of the most fun concerts that I've ever been to in my life, you know. Mm. It was the original lineup playing all the hits and then a couple songs. You didn't quite want at the time that I've warmed up to a little bit now. Mm-hmm. It's a little weird, though, when you're doing a farewell tour and then it's like, oh, it was just a farewell to that lineup, but you got Ace Freely playing, you know, Lick It Up and shit. Right. Um. So it's kind of like, you know, you have some of that on the that tour, but this one, you know, it's like we're done. The set list I thought was really good, uh, with one exception, because uh, I've been, you know, I've been clowning on uh, that "Hide Your Heart" song that has like this weird amount of like ver- versions of it. Like, I don't know why. I don't know why so many like Ace Freely covered that at the same time Kiss was doing it, and technically is a cover song by Kiss because even though Paul Stanley wrote it, he wrote it for like, um. Yeah, he he wrote it for Bonnie Tyler. Okay. Um, so she had, a, I think she recorded the first version of it. Then he got the Kiss version. And then for some reason, Ace is like, I want to cover that too. And they got in a big old fight over it. And <laughs> and then uh, who else had that? Uh, I'm blanking on the last, uh, the last uh, band that had a cover of it. But eh, it's whatever. But either way, it's like all these people keep doing this song that's not that fucking sick. And then Kiss was like trying to force that on the audiences on their last couple tours where they're like, no, you're going to get really into this. This is a this is us doing like, oh, check out this deep cut. Right. This this hidden gem from Hot in the Shade that you're all going to fucking jam on. And and I don't think it ever quite caught on the way they wanted to. So they finally pulled that out of the set list. But then it got replaced with Tears Are Fallen, basically, and I don't like that song either. Right. And I think I like it less because I'm just like, ugh. It's just such a, I don't know, it's a boring song to me. It's one that um, its claim to fame is the fact that it was just written entirely by Paul Stanley. So it was written during that time period that Gene was barely involved in the band. Like, he was trying to be an actor. So... Paul was writing all the shit basically and Gene would just show up and play on the album and then look ugly in a video or something. <laughs> and, uh... <laughs> right. The only thing I like about that song is the original solo by Bruce Kulick is a badass solo in Tears Are Falling. Um, and that's the only thing that was uh, probably his moment as a, as a Kiss guitarist for me was because that solo is like it's uh, well written and it's kind of hard to pull off the, some of the shit that he does too. So,
actually that was kind of my high point for Tommy Thayer that night because he pretty much nailed it, which I don't think he really nails too much of the ace shit. It was cool though. Um, I liked, I dug it. I was actually, uh, I had lawn seats. So, you know, usually sitting in the grass, which ain't too comfortable for a fat motherfucker like me. So, me and my brother-in-law, Roy, kind of snuck into this new section that they have there, which is called the beach, which is, I guess, going to be a, an ongoing thing in San Diego where every venue has the beach or something. It's like a sand thing with, like, these, with like beach wood beach chairs, and you have, like, a lot of space, and supposedly they have a bar that's just like dedicated for that area but I didn't see it because it was on the other side of where we snuck in at so that was actually cool you know I got to got to lounge and I think they were better last time I don't know if it was um, I mean you would think the amphitheater would sound better than the Cox Arena so it wasn't that I don't know maybe they were maybe they were just better last time you know I had fun it was a uh, the, the pyrotechnics and stuff looked cool outside. You got to be right where uh, right where Paul lands uh, when he takes when he when he uh, goes on that cable out to the middle somewhere. It was like by your seats, so that was cool. Yeah, I wasn't that far. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I I agree. I think I like the set list a tiny. I don't know, maybe a tiny little bit better for this one. It was very similar, but. Um, I think Kiss, I don't know, there's something about them that I think works better as an arena act versus open air. Um, I don't know. There's, for me, um, one thing I noticed with a lot of the songs, this is where I start wondering how many backing tracks are being used. Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of shit that's like, man... That sounds like almost fucking identical to the sound on like Alive or something like that. Mm. So either so either they got like they got their fucking levels down or they sweetened it up a little bit, you know. Yeah. And then there's that whole rumor, you know, there's rumors forever that Paul's using backing tracks, but then, you know, you have people going like, oh, no, it's not actually Paul using a backing track. It's, um, was it? Fuck it. Uh, Eric, Eric, Singer. Uh, Eric Singer is singing all the, all the, the Paul uh, songs. basically, yeah, he's doing back backing vocals and um, choruses and stuff, which I was, I keep getting distracted that I wanted to try to pay attention to that, but it's a little hard to. Mm-hmm. But as I was leaving... I did hear someone turn to another guy and be like, oh man, yeah, did you, if you pay, did, like, did you pay attention? Yeah, there was like the drummer singing all the, all the uh, choruses and shit. Mm-hmm. So other people noticed it. And of course, we had our friend David Garavaldi or whatever, the, the fucking rock and roll painter mm-hmm. opening again. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I didn't really, I didn't even watch sh- it this time, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, it was like, whatever, but uh, it was funny because uh, I did make a kid laugh that was sitting in front of me because there are other people like you'd hear occasionally people kind of like yelling shit, just fucking being like, paint more. 
like <laughs> fucking with them. But yeah. this kid was sitting in front of me. And uh, at one point, you know, Mr. Painter guy was like, you know, every time I go backstage and kisses signing these paintings, uh, they always ask me like, oh, what's the loudest crowd or, you know, of this tour? And I want to be able to go back there and say, you know, San Diego was the loudest crowd on this tour. And I like kind of la- did the loud thing, like talking to others, like, oh, he's going to be really disappointed. So San Diego's like notorious <laughs> for being a shitty crowd. And a kid just heard that in front and just started busting up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, unfortunately, that's not untrue. It, yeah. I don't know if it's because I race stoned all the time or we're too laid back, but we're not a loud crowd, man. Like, yeah, but you know, and I told my brother going into the show, like, oh, I'm really looking forward to uh, hearing more of Paul Stanley not understanding the dynamics of San Diego. Yeah, when he's like, you know, who's louder, Chula Vista or San Diego? <laughs> you know. Yeah, and then I was just like, and immediately that's one of the first things that I was joking with. You know, I was saying with my brother, I was like, yeah, nobody from Chula fucking really claims it like everybody claims san diego right and then if you ask what part of san diego you're from oh i'm from chula vista i'm from spring valley Mm -hmm. i'm from el cajon i'm from downtown you know that kind of shit and uh my brother's like that's not true mario lopez always claims chula vista i'm like man shut the fuck up (laughs) (laughs) yeah fuck that he's always on when yeah, when he was on that show uh, that was basically like the dude version of the View, he's like, "Oh, I'm from Chula Vista," and he always he fucking sounds. He said it's he sounded more like a gringo than I do when he fucking said that shit. Oh, <laughs> you know, yeah. So uh, yeah, I yeah. don't think anybody. I don't think anyone really claims him. Like, <laughs> well, I mean, they need to tell. They need to tell the uh, the whoever the the act is that you know. Chula Vista is just a little suburb of, of San Diego. It's not like the people that are there are mostly from San Diego. And there, you know, there's a few from Chula Vista, of course, but it's not like, yeah. you know, a, a thing in its own right, really. Um, yeah. And all through that, all through those banters, that was the that was the part that really got me as far as um, Paul's voice, because when he was talking and trying to do those things that he does, that shit sounded painful, man. And his voice was cracking a couple of times. It, it almost kind of seems like when he's singing the song, maybe his his throat has like muscle memory for those kind of things. Mm-hmm. But when he's trying to like ad lib or, or just talk loudly, it like, yeah, he, he can't sustain it. It really sounded like it sounded like he had a sore throat, but like the whole time, you know. So yeah, yeah, I, I can see why why it has to end, you know. Then again, I mean, like, let's say just for the sake of argument that they replaced one of them, Paul or Gene, right? That would totally open the door for having a no original member kiss band you know and i don't know if people would go see that shit um that would be almost to me almost like the deal hologram yeah 
I don't know. I'm glad I I'm glad I went again. It was only twenty bucks for uh, for lawn seat, so it was cool. You know, I I um, I wasn't gonna go again because I'd already seen it just last year, but I hadn't been to a concert in a while. It's twenty bucks. I said, yeah, fuck it, man. You know, let's go. Yeah, I mean, Paul has even said, Paul and Gene have even talked about the concept of a no original members kiss, mm-hmm. you know, and kind of turning it into a, uh, the official kiss tribute band. Right. You know, and it would be interesting because it's like people who go see kiss tribute bands, mm-hmm. you know, so it'd be kind of cool to see like their official tribute band right. that gets all the bells and whistles. If mm-hmm. that's the route they went. Yeah, I mean, I might see it. I wouldn't treat it like I was seeing Kiss at that point. No, I treat it like I was seeing like a tribute act that has like all the fucking pyro, right, and everything else. And I probably fucking stand Tommy Thayer a little bit better in that concept. But um, yeah, but who knows? I think they just like to say that to keep people guessing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then and then too, if if uh, if you say that, then you give them something to hate on besides what they're currently doing. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, so that's the kind of like a deflection in a sense. Anyways, we're running long on this. Um, we almost lost a guy on stage the other day. Um, yeah. At the Judas priest concert. Yeah. And the last, and when some, if you were to be told, uh, a member of Judas Priest had a fucking, you know, cardiac episode on stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think you would have guessed Richie Faulkner would be the one. No, I'm going Ian <laughs> Hill know? on that one. Uh, yeah, <laughs> going Ian Hill or Rob, man. Yeah. Uh, and that's like, you know, when you heard about it at first, it was like, oh, shit. He had a cardiac episode. That's fucking gnarly. He had to go have heart surgery immediately after the show. And people were speculating on what it was. Did he have a heart attack? Did he have this? Did he have that? You know, you get some of the people out there like, oh, wonder if the the vaccine did it, which Mm -hmm. is fucking dumb. But this fool had a fucking aortic aneurysm with a complete aortic dissection. So his chest cavity was filling with blood as he was finishing out painkiller and man that like he was, you know, when he was finally able to write about it, you know, he's like, dude, you're watching a dying man on stage right there. He's like, he, he was lucky to have survived because the doc, you know, the surgeons all told him, like the doctors told him, like most people don't make it to the hospital when they have something like this. Like you're fucking dead, you know, like, my cousin, I think I don't I don't know if I've mentioned him before on the podcast. My cousin that died when I was a teenager, um he was in a um motorcycle accident. And I know it's a little bit of a different situation, but he was like it was one of those things where he was conscious and talking and then when they got him into surgery and cracked his chest, um it turned out he had like, you know, his aorta had ruptured or whatnot. So he immediately flatlined like because that like when you're 
when your chest is filling up with blood like that, your chest is keeping your blood pressure even remotely up. And yeah, they apparently they cracked him and it was like his blood pressure bottomed out instantaneously. Like he was just dead and there was nothing they could do to save him. So the fact that he had a similar situation going on and they're able to save him, not only were they able to save him, he's able to finish out his set, you know, and he's saying he's lucky. He's lucky because where they took him was only four hours away or right. four miles away. Yeah, four miles. If the closest hospital was a little farther, he's probably dead, mm-hmm. you know, so that's just pretty gnarly. Um, you know, I know that there's a lot of uh, debate in the, um, you know, the priest fan base about whether he's a KK ripoff or, you know, I've seen him compared to, you know, some of these people compare him to Tommy Thayer mm-hmm. because he's a blonde guy that wears the, the gear, mm-hmm. which fuck that's fucking stupid okay first he's fucking blonde it's not like they fucking put a blonde wig right. on a motherfucker to make him look like kk right and he's dressed in the same yeah because everybody wears that leather shit in the band that's the band look mm-hmm. so and, and they they take that because kk called him a ripoff you know oh they got another blonde guitarist wearing leather and it's like man you fucking muppety looking motherfucker at your age like i don't like kk at this point man he talks a lot of shit for someone that put out a pretty crappy record recently yeah Uh, (laughs) you know and and the thing about it is um he didn't get kicked out he left you know so you shouldn't be such a bitter man if you left by your own choice you shouldn't care what the fuck they do after you left you left you know if you got kicked out then I could understand why he would be fucking pissed off, like when a when a dude leaves his wife for a younger version of the same, you know. But it's not the same because you left, you know. So I don't understand what he was so upset about. I guess maybe he wanted back in when Glenn got sick and they didn't invite him back, and so he got mad about that. But you know, again, man, you you make your bed. You, you fucking you sleep in the motherfucker, man. You you know, um, and and I mean for me, I would think long and hard before I left a band like Judas Priest. I mean, most dudes never will never ever get to uh, to be in a band that practically everybody knows the name of that band, you know. So if I felt like I wanted to leave the band, I'd give it a couple of days, and then. I'd give it a couple of more days, you know. Uh, you, yeah. And once and once you leave, well then, hey, you made your decision, and and they got a guy, and uh, he, you know, he's blonde like you, but you know, in reality, he can play your shit. He can play Glenn's shit. He can play a lot of people's shit that you probably couldn't play. So, you know, there's also that, you know. Yeah, and you know, here's the here's the rub with that whole thing. You know, not only did he leave, he said he was leaving because he's retiring. Right. He said he was done. Like he couldn't handle the road anymore and he wanted to just kind of go home and fucking live out his days playing golf, which mm-hmm. is fucking fine. As some people they want to hang it up, but he and around this time I remember they were talking about like this was gonna be like Priest's last tour even back then. Mm-hmm. And then KK left. So people are like, well, why why wouldn't he finish out at least this going away, this this last tour? 
And I think what ended up happening is I think he thought the band was going to be done. Mm-hmm. And he is just getting a jump on it. I don't think he expected Richie to kind of breathe like new energy into Judas Priest. And uh, and they just went on. He's done a couple records now. They've you know, it's been a decade like he really did. I think he rejuvenated the band. You get that fresh blood in there and you get this really, you know, young dude that's like into it and mm-hmm. really enthusiastic that amps people up the rest of the band wants to meet that energy and he's been kind of carrying the the torch a little bit you know when you watch this dude play he's fucking killing it dude he's all over the stage he's a he's a fucking beast he's mm-hmm. like like you said he's like one of these like super shredder guitarists that can fucking play anything
And you know what? He can play all. Here's the thing. He can play all of KK shit. I don't think KK could play all of fucking his shit because Richie's shit on the records is a bit different because, you know, he's they slotted him in playing KK's leads live, but he's not trying to emulate him on the records. Mm -mm. And then when you give him a spotlight solo, um, he's really on another level. Mm -hmm. Um, Like he's just. He's super technically proficient and melodic Mm -hmm. when he's doing that shit. So it's like, I don't know, man. Uh, I guess people, haters going to hate. There's always going to be that chunk of fans that are KK Downing fans. And I don't want to be smirched as a guy because I like all his shit that Mm -hmm. he did with the band. But Mm -hmm. they need to kind of get over it at this point, you know, because this is not a guy that's coming in trying to copy him. This isn't a guy trying to steal his persona or anything like that. This is a guy that hired to do a fucking job. And it's weird that more more people shit on Richie than fucking Andy Sneep. Like <laughs> Yeah. That's weird. And, and I got and I got no problem with Andy. I think it's a little bit different cuz he's he's stepping in because Glenn can't really play right that much anymore, but I I Andy always feels like he has this temporary solution that they haven't found a better uh alternative to. Right. Like I think having the producer play on stage, it just seems like it's supposed. It should have been like, a, "Oh, we'll do it for this tour, and then when we finish up, we're gonna recruit a dude." But maybe they're just happy with it. I don't know. I don't think he sucks or anything. Yeah, he's okay. But there's so many dudes. There's so many dudes out there that would jump at that chance. Mm-hmm. You know. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, George Lynch said he would. And uh, and he happens to be uh, Richie Faulkner's what father-in-law, father-in-law. So, yeah, so yeah. That, that would be good. That would be good with me. Um, yeah, but anyways, uh, glad that that he survived the thing. Maybe maybe there'll be another album before another tour, just in case, you know. But like you said, the albums that Priest has been putting out lately with him are better than what I've heard from KK's new shit. So I don't know exactly what leg KK feels like he has to stand on talking all this shit, but whatever. I guess it's just, you know, I mean, he's a legend and legends feel like they're, you know, justified in whatever the fuck they have to say. And so, you know, I'm sure he does and whatever. I'll be interested to hear the rest of the album, uh, the, the KK Priest album. Um, the two songs that I heard so far, they're okay. No big deal. But who knows? Maybe the rest of the album will be better. Who knows? Yeah, oh. I haven't really sat down and listened to it because, like, everything I've heard from it, I've liked it less. Mm. Um, and the f- fact of the matter is, is Ripper is a very good vocalist. He's not a good songwriter. Right. You know, like... Just the the vocal, like the lyrics are just fucking bland, and I don't know. I don't, I haven't dug it. Um, but it is what it is. Maybe we'll listen it all the way through and do our little review of it sometime. But uh, yeah, we should probably get to our list because right. we've been uh talking about all kinds of shit for. All right, <laughs> let me start with the honorable mention for the Iomi list, and the reason that I'm bringing this up is because nobody ever does anymore 
And the reason nobody ever does anymore is because you've heard the riff a hundred million times. And of course, like you said about the Kiss shows, there's diminishing returns every time you hear Iron Man, right? But yeah. it is a staple of heavy metal for a reason. And that's because it's a badass riff and it's one of either the first or second riff that you learn as a, as a young guitar player who wants to play metal. Either you, you learn Smoke on the Water first and then you learned Iron Man or you learn Iron Man first and then you learn Smoke on the Water. Either which way, those two riffs for me are in the same realm, you know, of, of just being immortal. And another thing that's common with both of those riffs is that everybody plays them wrong. You know, uh, everybody plays both of these riffs in E because it's just the more simplest way to start with the open chord. But, you know, Iron Man's in B, Smoke on the Water's in G, so everybody plays them wrong all the time, but it is what it is. But the Iron Man riff is, you know, I've known it for, like, my whole life since I was, you know, 13 or whatever. So... That's what. So that gets an honorable mention for me, Iron. Yeah, uh, you, you can't go wrong. At least giving it an honorable mention, like you said. That it's it's yeah, it's one of the two. Uh, <laughs> you you know you those are the two that you learn because there's something about them that they're they're accessible and it's an accessible way to play something that sounds cool. Mm-hmm. Um. Like, it doesn't have to be fucking super fancy in a million miles an hour to right. be like, oh, shit, check this out, man. Like, any, you know, if you can pick up a guitar, it's everybody's yeah. like, oh, look at him. He's fucking cool. He's playing Iron Man. Right. He plays Black Sabbath. That yeah. might be the only Sabbath you know, uh, but it's accessible. Um as an honorable mention for me, before I, you know, we get into our list list, uh, I just picked five there. Um, I, I kind of want to give it an honorable mention because I, you know, give a little love to Metallica for this. But in the liner notes of uh, Garage Inc., they said the reason why they covered Saba Cadabra because in their mind, the main riff from Saba Cadabra was like the most evil sounding riff known to man. For whatever reason okay so that's why they did it and it's interesting because it's it's such an upbeat sounding riff but to them they covered it because like oh it's it's there's something evil about it and it's really cool and so that's why you know metallica threw it on did a did a cover of it because of that right um so i wanted to throw that out there so for my list proper it would have been really easy to do like all ozzy era riffs because that's really the fucking classic shit mm-hmm. um i decided i wanted to do a different a different approach mm-hmm. where i wanted to have at least one riff for each era right um not counting we're not counting seventh star uh, right <laughs> right but you know i wanted to have a tony martin one on here i wanted to have at least a dio one on here I wanted to have, you know, an Ian Gillen one on here. So I have a I have basically I decided to go two Aussie era and three non Aussie ones. Okay. Um 
just to get to mix it up because otherwise it's just me fucking listing like it's just the track listing of like fucking master of reality basically right, <laughs> right. which in my in my mind after i've listened to all the classic albums again recently i think that one's my favorite uh sabbath record now okay um for the for the longest time it was sabbath bloody sabbath i sat down and listened to it and master of reality is kind of their doomiest stoneriest totally album, and everything fucking just kicks on it so so anyway my number five riff on here decided to go uh tony martin era you know the cat as apparently he was called i don't know what's so cat like about him you know especially when uh his trademark song was nightwing i think but uh i decided to go with uh when death calls right um you know it's got a cool drone to you know and it's not, it's got that two for one you know i love i love my I've, we've talked about this before my favorite black sabbath songs are the ones that change tempo mm-hmm. um so they got the cool stomp to it early on and the drone and then it kicks up with a really sick riff and speeds up and then it also has a brian may guitar solo in it at that part also so i wanted to go give give the you know give tony martin a little bit of love with uh when death you know that era with when death calls right on That's cool. You know, I I love the riffs from that era. There's there's one thing I guess, kind of like when they say, you know, uh, a heavyweight boxer, the last thing that that he loses is power. Probably the same thing uh, with Iomi. The last thing to to go will be his his riffing ability because he always has maintained that all the way till till now, for all I know, and. Uh, and yeah, I like a lot of riffs from those. Even if he only had those records, you could still pick a bunch of sick riffs just from those records. So yeah, totally, totally. Uh, I did kind of the opposite of what you did and in which I went mostly with old shit. Um, I did throw in a couple of others that but they ended up falling off into the uh honorable mention category and um those were uh were voodoo from uh, from mob rules which to me after master of reality i would say mob rules has the heaviest riffs and then um 
and then also from the from the Gillen era, disturbing the priest, because that's one of those riffs that it's just like, it's almost not really even a riff. It's more just like some sounds that he makes, and you look at the tablature for it, and it's like okay. I could play that, but it doesn't sound like this, um, and it's not gonna sound like this, but okay if you say so. <laughs> that's a sick one but for my um number five i'm gonna go with sign of the southern cross from uh again from mob rules it's one of those it's actually you know the second riff in the song but it's like just that slow and plotting and uh he holds the chords for you know it's like I don't know it's the way he plays it more than the riff it's the way he plays it and that's the way it is with a lot of Iomi shit but Sign of the Southern Cross was real fucking evil sounding to me especially contrasted with the soft intro just made it even more so stand out like that For sure. I was going to say, uh, you know, with with Iomi, yeah, the way he plays shit is really the key. Like, a lot of people can technically play his shit. He doesn't have the most complex riffs, but nobody gets his feel. You know, he's got such a unique feel and tone that you can't quite you can't quite replicate it. And it's, you know. It is what it is in that. So on the uh, on the Dio wagon, my next uh, my number four is actually a Dio one. Uh, 
Uh, it's off of uh, Dehumanizer, which I would uh, argue may actually be some of the heaviest riffs. But uh, I went with uh, After All um, just because it's got that classic, you know, that classic doomy vibe. We talked about it before, how it's like it sounds like the only um, the only Dio era one that you could potentially see Ozzy actually being able to pull off. Mm because of the vibe to it um so it's yeah i we're i think uh the uh for a lot of these picks um the key to it is going to be that that plotting drone the the you know faster doesn't necessarily mean heavier you know um and i that's i think that's why i always like doom metal a little bit more because you're kind of living in that riff a little bit more like, you know, he's, it's really like you're soaking it in because it's not just chugging super fast along your gut. It's everything's very deliberate, you know? So that's why I went with, uh, after all, uh, from dehumanizer. man dehumanizer is a fucking badass album and you're right about the riffs and yeah it seems like um when when dio and sabbath got back together they had some shit that they wanted to say and that they wanted to show and maybe that they were saving up for just that occasion you know but yeah it was a it was a perfect um time for that to happen and the execution was awesome. So yeah, definitely uh, 
that one was a good one and a lot of the riffs on on that album were great all right number four for uh four three two all have this in common and that is that they're tuned way the fuck down and you know Iomi was the first to do it he uh, I mean in in heavy metal and um, you know he did it at mostly out of necessity because you know because of his hands and what he needed to uh, he was always trying to figure out a way to to uh, to play better with the you know deficiencies that he had or turn the negatives into positives and whatever and with that tuning down all the way to C sharp because he had tuned down to, to uh, E flat before but when he started tuning down all the way to C sharp it really made a big difference as far as uh, his soloing because it, it, it's easier to, to solo on looser strings obviously and with the riffs because they just went into a range that you didn't normally hear that was true of a lot of them and it was true of this one under the sun because it's one of those where it's like it just grabs you you know the the tonality of it grabs you and it's just like whoa what is what the fuck is that you know and we hadn't heard anything like it before it was just one of those things where you're just like well you know that's Iomi and he and it's riffs like that and sounds like that that put him over the top for us to where even when we were like young kids and we didn't know that much about about anything we were already calling him riff master you know we're just like oh yeah that he's got the riffs you know and under the sun is a great example of that so under the sun has that part dun, dun, dun. And it just sounds all like heavy and sludgy and doomy. And that's what really makes it like evil. sure man uh so for my number three this is my ian gillen pick uh decided to go with zero the hero now i think the there's a lot of underrated riffs or like you said like you know some of them it's just almost just sounds like fucking sounds Mm -hmm. but there's you know there's kind of two things going on with zero the hero that kind of gives it that evil quality. I think I'm look. I'm really looking forward to like, you know, them doing a full remaster of this because they found the fucking master tapes apparently. Mm-hmm. But part of that fucked up 
like sound actually kind of lends itself to it. Like it has this grindhouse feel to it, man. It's like not, it, you know, it's there's nothing pretty about it. Mm-hmm. But you know, one you get you know the the main riff that um, got ripped off by uh, Guns N' Roses for uh, Paradise City, but it doesn't sound evil with Paradise City. But it's a very similar uh, riff. But in that riff. I don't know if there's something about the sound of it, but just that, like, it's almost like the toll of the bell, but it's like guitar, you know, it's just fucking such an evil fucking sound to it, you know, and And then like Ian Gillen comes in and kind of lightens it up a little bit. That's the, my only problem with Ian Gillen in this matchup is I love Ian Gillen and deep purple and shit. I think his voice is the only way to describe it. I think it's a little bright (laughs) for, for Sabbath, you know? And then when we, you get stuff like, uh, trashed where the way he like says like tequila Mm -hmm. in the song, he's like, there's no tequila. And it's like kind of makes you chuckle. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But uh That was the thing about about Ian Gillen with when it first came out and we heard it, it was like, okay. We were kind of trying to make sense of it. We kind of were trying to make sense of the fact that he was even in the band. You know, that it was like that was seemed to be a weird fit for me. But I was like, okay, well, you know, I mean he's a legend, they're legends, we'll give it a shot. And I liked that he tried to make it evil, you know, um, like uh, 
you know, the, the evil laughs and trying to tackle, you know, disturbing the priest. What does that mean? You know, or like, you know, whatever. You come to find out later that their rehearsals were actually disturbing some priest that was down the street. And that's <laughs> what the song's about, you know. Trashed is about them, you know, taking uh, Bill Ward's car and crashing it. And, you know, like they always fucking with Bill and whatever, you know. And so that's just... So it was kind of like Ian Gillen, like, writing songs like he does about shit that's just happening around him. And, you know, which is the story of Smoke on the yeah. Water, you know. And just like, okay, how can I kind of make this sound evil? Because, you know, I'm supposed to be evil now. I'm in Black Sabbath. You know, and and the way he goes about it, it turned out to be cool. I mean, I don't think, you know, sometimes you think, oh, maybe the next album would have been better with the same light. I don't really think so. I think it was probably good that they left it at one. You know, a couple of the songs were a little bit more, you know, Hotline could have been a Deep Purple song better than a Sabbath song. You know, a couple of others. But it... All in all, I think that uh, he he gave it a shot, and I think Iommi tried to up the evil factor in the guitar to kind of make up for it, you know. So, but all in all, it worked out good. I like that record, you know. Yeah, I, I've also heard uh, the you know the to go along with the oh they're just he's just singing about everything going on around him. I've heard some people speculate that the digital bitch is uh, Sharon. Ah, yeah, <laughs> you know, could be, you know. But I haven't listened to that song enough to really be able to determine it because I fuck, I hate that song. That's the one song I really don't like. Yeah, on that record that I all that's a it's that's always a skip for me. Right, but uh, you know, shit like Hotline, I could see what you mean where it could maybe work better as a Deep Purple, but that's a sick fucking song. And that's probably his best vocal performance on the whole record, too. Right. So, right. And it sounds like that's a song that probably blew him out uh, before uh, he reunited with Deep Purple. You know? Because that's the last real song you hear where he's effortlessly hitting those fucking screams, you know? Right. Right. You know what's funny? All right. Moving on to your next pick there. Well, real quick, what's funny about Ian Gillen that, that, that I should say is that you're right about that. And during that time, right after uh, he left Sabbath, there were a lot of people saying, oh, his voice is shot. That's it for him. Whatever, whatever, whatever. Well, however many fucking years later, he still sounds better than a lot of fools. A lot of other fools' voices are gone, and his seems to actually still be hanging in there better than a lot of dudes. So in essence, he kind of he kind of uh, gave everybody a big fuck you who was fucking calling him done at, in those days, you know. So true enough. Yeah, yeah, there you go. All right, staying with the old shit, I'm gonna go with Cornucopia. Cornucopia is another one of those songs that's fucking tuned way down. Now Cornucopia has that. Again, it's just like heavy and slow and plodding and, you know, dark.
again, it's it's not necessarily the tritone, but it's the intervals of the chords that just have those little evil in them. And it's something that probably Iomi does that shit in his sleep. You know, it's just like everything he plays probably, you know, they probably, I don't, I don't know if he could be like in another band and not do that. You know, maybe he could. But to me, it's just like, it's so natural, man. Um, the way that he uh, just, it co- sounds evil. It sounds fucking heavy. He's, he's just a master of that. Oh, for sure. All right. So my uh, number two here, this is where I just finish off with a couple of, uh, you know, Ozzy era. So I decided to take a, you know, when I was sitting and thinking about different riffs and you know what, despite the, the subject matter of the song, the actual riff for sweet leaf is fucking heavy as shit. Oh yeah. And it's like, this is like how you make people scared of potheads, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Cause it's like, you know, it's like the reefer madness song, man. Like it's just, it's all about how great pot is. I love you sweet leaf and all this shit. And then behind that, you know, you're getting a sick riff and it's another one of those that kind of, he lingers in with it just a dun 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 bam. You know, there's I don't know, there's something just weirdly sinister about that riff. Uh about a it's just a song about how much they love pot. <laughs> Master Reality is the fucking pot album, you know? Yeah. And I think they kind of, after that, you start getting into the Coke albums and, mm-hmm, <laughs> and mm-hmm. shit, and you start having S- Snowblind where they're all singing about Coke, you right. know? And uh, in case you aren't sure what it's about, you got Ozzy in there like, cocaine. Like, <laughs> yeah. So uh, then you get like the fucking tweaker sounding albums and shit later on. So. 
I think I like them when they're all when they are all just real in the pot and maybe some fucking acid. Yeah, that's kind of where I like my Sabbath because they're all fucking vibing on the same shit. Right. It's when they all start experimenting with different shit, and you're supposed to fucking make a record out of that. that mm-hmm. Problems start to arise. We've talked about this before, man. If you're gonna fucking party with people, you got to party with people that are all doing the same shit as you. Right. You can't get a fucking pothead and a tweaker in the same room and expect something good to come out of that, right. you know? Yeah, no. You can't, I mean, you can't, re, you can't really just get a tweaker in the same room as just about anybody. Uh, <laughs> Except other tweakers, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and even then, it's a fucking tense situation. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> you never know, like, you never know who's going to be tweaking in a, their own. Like, everybody tweaks in their own way, man. Right. And you get some of those tweakers that are just fucking energetic and some of those tweakers that it's like, there's bees in my teeth, yeah. you know? Like, and you don't want to fuck with those guys. And there, a fucking tweaker that's going to steal all your fucking copper wiring yeah. or something. There's always going to be the guy who's jealous that he's not tweaking as hard as you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right. So my number two, which is funny because I almost, it was like, it was going to be a toss up between Electric Funeral, which didn't end up making the list, and Into the Void, which did end up making the list, and it's Into the Void. And it's got the intro riff, which is crazy, and then it's got the second riff, which is the faster riff, but fucking still fucking sounds fucking evil. Fuck. And that's what Black Sabbath uh, opened with. It was Into the Void. And I was like, oh shit, these, they're going for it. It's like, this is a, this is going to be a trip. got the tempo changes 
and it's got the um Iomi goes for it in in this in this song. It's just like to me one of the one of the classics and it's like a great song to start the set. It's a it'll be a great song to fucking start um like start your last your your three encore songs or something or the or the state that you leave the stage on. To me it's a pivotal song in the set because of those riffs mostly. Fuck it. Yeah, fuck it, man. Can't say enough about that. Uh so my number 1 might be your number 1. This might be the situation where we wound up on the same song. I think it's kind of a given. I think it's it's the easiest pick and sometimes the easiest pick is just the right pick. But I mean it's it's got to be fucking the riff for Black Sabbath, you know? Yes. <laughs> It's the riff that, yeah, it's 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 the riff that fucking basically started metal, you know. Yeah. Um, to some people, when you talk about you know the Black Sabbath, there's tons of shit that you can point to as being influential. But I mean, it's the first song on the first album, and it immediately set the fucking tone. Mm-hmm. And their whole point was. Well, you know, people love to go see horror movies. What if we made music like that's like a horror movie? And that's that was the birth of metal right there. And, you know, it's the tritone. It's, you know, considered the most sinister sound. It just music in general. Like if you're you're working off that, it's you're making something evil sounding. It's mm-hmm. like what the fucking music for like the haunted mansion is also based off of, right? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, it's supposed to be evil and scary sounding. And then on top of that, you get that tempo shift. So that's like the first thing you hear from black Sabbath, you're getting the fucking tempo shift also, and you're getting another badass riff. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, Henry Rollins was described, you know, the sound of Black Sabbath is, you know, someone that's sitting in that chair and their anger is rising and then they finally stood up and they're balling their fists and they're ready to fuck you up, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I think that's kind of how that entire song sounds like it's building. And then when you get the... uh that whole shift, you know, the tempo shift, then it finally sounds like this, you know, this explosion um, that it was building up to. So that's why I had to go with it. It's just the quintessential evil sounding riff. So totally. Yeah. I went with it also. And for all the reasons that you said, and you know, the, the tritone is something that, you know, I used a lot. It became a staple of metal fucking slayer put their whole careers on that shit you know and uh and and did it well but with sabbath like again it was the first time he heard it um they started off with with the rain and the church bells which again was something that set the scene we hadn't heard no no shit like that before you know and and that kind of shit could go wrong it could have been corny it could have sounded stupid you know but it didn't and then the chords come in and they're just and it's like um, droning on you know 
And the way that we looked at it, like you said, with the, with the tempo changes was like, okay, you know, you see the figure. What is this that stands before me, right? And then when it gets to the, to the, to the second part, it's like, okay, now this motherfucker's chasing you. Like, now he's going to get you, you know? It's like, fuck it. Da, da, da. So, yeah, man. Uh, and we heard that shit as youngsters, like, you know, like 11 or 12. And we were just like, whoa, you know? And that was during the time when uh, people were saying, oh, yeah, if you play these records backwards, this Led Zeppelin record or this Black Sabbath record or whatever you'll hear. And I'm like, man, you don't got to play this shit backwards. This shit's fucking spooky <laughs> as hell forwards, dude. You know? <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, definitely um, that's the one for me, you know, uh, number one. It's, it's going to be the, I think, in the end, it's going to be like what Black Sabbath is remembered for the most. If you had to play like one song and say, okay, this is Black Sabbath, then you would play Black Sabbath, you know? And so, yeah, for sure, that would, that would be number one for me too. All right. So I think we, uh, we covered that. We, uh, come to the end. We, uh, managed to, uh, pretty much keep to our timetable. We're trying to set for ourselves. Right. Yeah. This is the closest um, we've ever come. I think. Especially considering yeah. all the talking we did at first. So, yeah. Yeah, no shit. We did good on this one. All right. For all you people with short attention spans. <laughs> okay. So, uh, we we are going to try to get a couple more in before Halloween that might be kind of Halloween themed. Um, I'm going to review a concert that I went to a couple of weeks ago. And so, those will be coming out pretty quick after this one and so you know until the next one this is me big frog me mike castleberry and we are out